0: Have this scene after all these people have died, and the people are in a state. They have chosen to worship uh, the calf and not the Lord, and the two com- the two tablets of stone have been broken. And Moses returns to the Lord up on the mountain. He is going to atone for the sin of Israel. Verses 31 to 32, Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not... I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. Wow. Moses understands. Remember, he's communicating with God. He's knowing what God intends to do and and the description of holiness. God knows how grave the sin of the Israelites was. And so he says to the Lord, listen, please forgive them. And if you don't, blot me out. Right there, we are seeing Moses offering himself as a sacrificial person on behalf of Israel. He does not want God to leave the Israelites alone. He's appealing to the mercy and the grace of God and offering himself as a substitutionary sacrifice. Verses 33 to 35. And the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Now, therefore, go lead the people to the place of which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit for punishment, I will visit punishment upon them for their sin. So the Lord plagued the people because of what they did with the calf, which Aaron made. In God's response to Moses, he says, the ones who have sinned, I will blot them out. Continue on, go, and I'll let my angels. So the presence of the Lord will still be with the people, but there will be a time when the Lord will visit for the punishment. He will bring the punishment. And we will see that God did spare the nation as a whole, but he definitely, as a righteous judge, did punish them because later on we will read that none of this generation, actually enters into the promised land. And it's not that that was what God wanted for them, but there was consequences to their action and outright rebellion against God. So we're we're working our way to the ending of this book and we are now in chapter 33. And I want to read to you how it opens so you can see what, what is going to happen and how the Lord interacts with Israel now after what has happened. Verses 1 to 6. Then the Lord said to Moses, depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give it and I will send my angel before you and I will drive out the Canaanite and the Amorite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. For I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. And when the people heard this bad news, they mourned. And no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the children of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. I could come up into your midst in one moment and consume you. Now therefore take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you." So the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by Mount Horeb. After this whole sin with the golden calf, the Lord is reminding them that they are stiff necked. They are stubborn and they refuse to go in the direction that the Lord is leading them. And the Lord says, Listen, you will go to the land and I will send my angel before you and I will drive out all of the enemies. So God does not deny his promise to Israel. He doesn't deny its protection because remember he's a God of covenant. He promised that he would be with them. He would send the angel and that he would fight for them in the promised land. The reality of it is when the Israelites see that they can have a potential loss of the presence of God, his close presence in their midst. So Moses goes, when he goes to the camp, he takes his tent And he pitches it outside of the camp. He goes far away from the people and he calls his camp the tabernacle of meeting. Now, this is not the tabernacle that the Lord gave him instructions to build. This is just a place where he could meet with God. And also they would see like the the foreshadow of what he was going to build. I'm going to read verse 8 to 11. So it was whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle that all the people rose and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone to the tabernacle. And it came to pass that when Moses entered the tabernacle, that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door and all the people rose and worshiped each man in his tent. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend and he would return to the camp. But his servant, Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man did not depart from the tabernacle. Moses's tent is a place where God meets with him. And it's not within the congregation, it's further out. But the people see when he, Moses goes into the tent they, and they are worshiping in their own place, recognizing the presence of God that has come into Moses's tent. And we also see there that Joshua remains, he lingers in the tent even when Moses returns to the camp to where the people are. So that tells a little something about Joshua, his servant. Now, when the scripture says that God spoke to Moses face to face, like a person would speak with a friend, we're going to learn a little later. He didn't actually see the face of God, but what it means is that he spoke, God spoke with Moses plainly openly. Now, later on with other prophets, God would speak to them, but usually it's in dreams and it's in visions. But here God speaks to Moses clearly. He hears God's voice and they have that type of relationship. Verses 12 to 14, then Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name and you have also found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. And in response to Moses's request, the Lord says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. So Moses is telling, Lord, listen, we need your presence We need you to go wherever we're going. We need you to lead us. Your presence is what makes the difference between us and every other nation. And he presses further and he says, Lord, show me your glory. And God's response is this. I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man shall see my face and live for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by me and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Moses is pressing, I want to see your glory. I want to see the essence of who you are. And then the Lord says, you can't see my face, but I will show you my goodness. I will allow you to see the back parts of me and all of my goodness. He Moses knew that he needed the strong presence of the Lord with him. God has consented to show Moses his goodness. God continues to speak with Moses, and remember when Moses came down and he saw what was happening with the worship of the golden calf and the immorality of the people, he broke the two stones. Uh, that had the, the law of the Lord. So in verses one to two of chapter 34, the Lord said to Moses, cut two tablets of stone like the first ones and I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready in the morning, come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself to me that they're on the top of the mountain. And Moses obeyed what the Lord said. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. So this is, the, this is what God said he would do for Moses. And here we're seeing the actual scene described. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, Yahweh. Merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands and forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. God said he would do. This is where we see him actually doing and allowing Moses to see his goodness. And he's proclaiming his name before him and describing who he is. So this cloud descends upon them. And in the scripture, this cloud is known as Shekinah cloud, which is the glory cloud of God. And it's mentioned in other places in the Bible as well. So God In saying his name to Moses, revealing his goodness to Moses, he's revealing his character. He proclaims his name before him. And Moses has this experience, once again, that he knows that God is with him. He has a revelation of who God is. He reveals himself as Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the covenant-keeping God. He is unchangeable and he is faithful. Also in his character is to punish sin because God is holy. So with God, everything has to be holy as well. And in this interaction, God and Moses is encountering God. Moses hastily bows his head and he worships the Lord and the covenant with Israel is renewed. God says to him, I make, behold I make a covenant before all your people I will do marvels such as not been done in all the earth nor in any nation and all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I am driving out from before you the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going, lest it be a snare in your midst. But you shall destroy their altars break down their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images. For you shall worship no other god, for the Lord whose name is Jealous... Is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they play the harlot with their gods, and make sacrifice to their gods. And one of them invites you, and you eat of his sacrifice, and you take of his daughters for your sons, and his daughters play the harlot with their gods, and make your sons play the harlot with their gods." God is once again, reaffirming the covenant with Moses, with Israel and reminding them how they are to live as God's people in the world. They are not to intermingle with the Canaanites. They are not to take intermarry. They are to live holy and separate to God. So this is God's covenant. Israel has, Israel is invited to come into it and not to negotiate with God, but to obey God's terms. God set the standard and Israel had to live up to it. And God would glorify himself through the nation of Israel and do wondrous things that the others, other nations would know that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the true God involved in this, God also lets Moses know that, hey, he would drive out all the enemies. They wouldn't even have to worry about their enemies. He would drive out all the inhabitants of Canaan so that they could take possession of this land, which is promised to them. So in this covenant, the renewal of this covenant Israel must be separate from the Canaanites in their way they worship, who they worship, in their fellowship, in their marriage. They also have to renounce idolatry. No other God should they serve. And as we see in this in this chapter, they have to keep the feast of the unleavened bread. They have to be separate from other nations. And We see in verse 27, the Lord said to Moses, write these words for according to the tenor of these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. That is supernatural sustenance, okay? He did not eat bread. He did not drink water. And he wrote on the tablets, the words of the covenant, the 10 commandments, when Moses comes down from his encounter with the Lord, with the tablets of stone a second time, now his face is shining. Now he's shining because he was in the presence of the brilliance of God's glory. His face is reflecting that glory still. And when he comes down and he tells the people what the Lord said says to them and about the, the covenant, the people are afraid to come near Moses especially after he just fasted for 40 days and 40 nights he should have been looking like sickly and like on to death but he's shining with the glory of the lord and so what moses does is he actually puts a veil over his face and when he goes in to talk with the lord again he takes the veil off moses speaks with the aaron and all the rulers of israel the children of israel also hear the commandments of the lord all right so we are now entering the final section of the book of exodus chapters 35 to 40 are all about the actual building of the tabernacle the chapters i've spoken about before were all about the instruction the instructions that god gave to moses of how to build the tabernacle how to create the garments for the priesthood and how to consecrate aaron and his sons to serve in the tabernacle now the work is actually going to get started So it's time to do what the Lord spoke to Moses about in chapters 25 to 31. He gathers all the children of Israel and he shares the instructions of the Lord. He reminds them at at the beginning about the Sabbath because remember the Lord ended with the Sabbath. After all the instructions and now he's starting off with the Sabbath that there shall be no work done on this seventh day. Then he calls for the offerings. All those who are willing to to give all the things that are needed for the tabernacle, the utensils and the priestly garments, he calls for this offering. And he also makes a call for all the gifted artisans in the different type of artistic work that needs to be done. Now, he gives this these instructions, make this call to the congregation and everybody leaves. Because remember, this was supposed to be a free will offering. No manipulation, no coercion. It's those who were stirred in their heart to give. Then we read in verse 21 to 28, and all the congregation of the children of Israel departed from the presence of, the, of Moses. Then everyone came whose heart was stirred and everyone whose spirit was willing. Crucial, 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 all right? And they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meeting, for all its service, and for the holy garments. They came, both men and women, as many as had a willing heart, and brought earrings and nose rings, rings and necklaces, and all jewelry of gold. That is, every man who made an offering of gold to the Lord. And every man with whom was found blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen, and goat's hair, red skins of rams, and badger skins brought them. Everyone who offered an offering of silver and bronze brought the Lord's offering. And everyone with whom was found acacia wood for any work of the service brought it. All the women who were gifted artisans spun yarn with their hands and brought what they had spun of blue, purple, and scarlet, and fine linen, and all the women whose hearts stirred with wisdom spun the yarn of goat's hair. The rulers brought onyx stones, and the stones to be set in the ephod and the breastplate, and spices and oil for the light, and for the anointing oil, and for the sweet incense. The children of Israel brought a free will offering to the Lord, all the men and women whose hearts were willing to bring material for all kinds of work which the Lord by the hand of Moses had commanded to be done. Wow, wow. How many times does it talk about the willingness of the people? So I would love to make an educated guess that not everybody brought. It is those who were stirred and those who are willing to give so lavishly to the work of God. And also when we see the different... People come, the women come who could spin yarn, who could do this. There are different complexities and levels of skill. And people came willingly. I love this because God makes a call, doesn't manipulate, us and coerce. But there are those who willingly want to give to the work of the Lord. And Moses also calls up Bezalel and the persons that the Lord has highlighted. And they will teach others how the skills that are needed to do the work that is required. So Bezalel and Aholiab are basically like the, um, the general contractors for the building project, right? They are equipped with a special outpouring of the Holy Spirit, special wisdom and understanding. And they are required to oversee the work and to teach and train those who need it for the, for the actual construction of every item. So we see, they have brought their offerings and they have brought it willingly, I dare say, with joy. And we move on to the next chapter. We read, Verse three, and they received from Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of making the sanctuary. So they continued bringing to him free will offerings every morning. Then all the craftsmen who were, who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came each from the work he was doing. And they spoke to Moses saying, now listen to this. The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded Commanded us to do. So Moses gave a commandment and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. And the people were restrained from bringing, for the material that they had was sufficient for all the work to be done. Indeed, too much. Oh, they had such a willingness. They brought so much. And when we read later on in the construction of the tabernacle, how much gold, how much silver, how much bronze was used, you can tell that they really, really, really brought a lot. Where would they get it in the wilderness? Remember, when they left Egypt. They received um, the, the spoils of their time of slavery. They received all these things from the Egyptians. And it's kind of like um, a severance from their work of being slaves for all those years. So they left wealthy and now they're bringing what they left with to do the work of the tabernacle.